I've got problems. Amen. Yes, his name is Greg. But Rebecca, that you've got problems too. Let me. Let me. You want to share it with us? Uh, yeah, share it. No. Let me. Let me do this. Let me. Let me see somebody raise a hand who does not have any problem. <laughs> see, I don't see a single hand up. So we've all got problems that we have to deal with. On a. <laughs> we will we will especially pray for you, Pat. <laughs> so so we've got individual problems, maybe family problems. Our country has problems. I mean, we we what did we hear in the news that our country is on the brink of a financial crisis if something doesn't get done by the end of the year. The world seems to have problems too. I mean, Europe has got financial crisis. Nations threatening to go to war over a little bitty rock jutting out of the Pacific Ocean. What is going on? But but what if someone could solve all the world's problems? Isn't that something to hope for? We're talking about hope this morning. What if someone could bring about world peace? Bring about an end to the Arab-Israeli conflict. Bring about lasting peace all over the globe. You know, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Solve this global economic meltdown. Fix global warming. Resolve and bring about peace between North and South Korea. What if somebody could, could do that? You know, what if somebody could... Solve our culture war. Rescue the economy. Even do things like revitalize the arts. Feed those that are hungry. Clothe those that need clothing. Provide housing for those that need it. What if somebody could do all that? You know what we need? We need a king to do this. I mean, not just... Uh, king of a country like a, you know the king of England or something but a global king a king who would rule in righteousness you know not an impatient king but a kind a nice gentle king uh, I heard a story about Napoleon Bonaparte which to show his impatience when he was getting ready to be crowned, he was so impatient, got so frustrated at the slowness of the coronation ceremony that he simply gra grabbed the crown and crowned himself. But, I mean, that's a king, right? Somebody <laughs> that can crown himself, forget all this ceremony, boom. But, you know, there isn't a king, prince, president who's ever accomplished what he really set out to accomplish, is there? No human king has ever been able to bring about world peace. And of course the reason that we know this can never happen is we read the Bible. We know what happened in Genesis 3. We see about Adam and Eve in the fall. And what happens when sinful human beings get any type of power? It doesn't end very well. You know? But I mean, I'll admit 
There have been times when I have thought to myself, if I was in that position, I could solve that problem. Have any of you ever thought that same thought? If I was put into just into that position of power, I could fix I could fix that. Have you ever thought that? All the time, yes. Yeah, exactly. I've got an answer to that. You know, and 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 nobody would like it, but I could. Well, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And 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 I, I would dare say we probably all have thoughts like that. I could solve that. Make me president and I can fix it. Make me king and I can solve it. And then on the but there's this conflict because on the other hand, I think there's probably also a desire within us to have a king, somebody to rule over us who could accomplish things, somebody who could get things accomplished. And yet, we know what happens when human beings aspire to kingship. You know, no king, no president ever, ever establishes a lasting kingdom that fulfills all of our hopes. When it comes to the end of the day, all kings die, all kingdoms fall. And yet, even as we think about kings and kingdoms, I think we also tend to have a sometimes a uh, superficial understanding even about Jesus and his kingship. Um, You know, did, as Bill talked earlier, did Jesus enter into this world, enter into human history as a baby? Yes. And Christmas is meant to celebrate the coming of Christ into human history. But he grew up. And the reason that we celebrate his birth is who he is, what he did for us. So we need to understand the big picture that scripture presents of of Jesus. And one way to look at it, and it's just a brief picture, is through the offices that he holds as prophet, priest, and king. And all of these are central and crucial to our understanding of who he is. Christ, as prophet, reveals the Father to us. I mean, not merely in terms of speaking to us as the prophets did, but he is the very word of God made flesh. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. He is the word made flesh. And we have beheld his glory. The glories of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. He comes to us as prophet. And as priest, he has accomplished for us the perfect sacrifice for our sin. He's a high priest, not just as a representative, but he's the high priest who himself is the mediator of a new covenant, a covenant made in his own blood. We hope 
in that. That's where we place our hope. And he was not merely there as our sacrifice, but also our substitute. And as priest, we have, we have hope in him because he lives forever and intercedes for us. We can place our hope in that. I mean, think about it. The very fact that we live and breathe are here right now is due to the fact that he is interceding for us right now. We have hope in that. We desperately need Christ as prophet. We desperately need him as priest. And we need him as king. And to understand Christ as king, I want to take a look at what it means to be a king, really from the Old Testament. So if you would, let's start in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 8. This may be the first time I've ever done a a Christmas-related message out of 1 Samuel. But please turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8. And it begins, when Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges over Israel. His firstborn son's name was Joel, and his second was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. However, his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned toward dishonest gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and went to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, Look, you are old, and your sons do not follow your example. Therefore, appoint a king to judge us, the same as all the other nations have. When, when they said, Give us a king to judge us, Samuel considered their demand sinful, so he prayed to the Lord. But the Lord told him, Listen to the people and everything they say to you. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me. As king, as their king, they are doing the same thing to you that they have done to me since the day I brought them out of Egypt unto this day, abandoning me and worshiping other gods. Listen to them, but you must solemnly warn them and tell them about the rights of the king who will rule over them. So Israel demands a king. If we put ourselves in the, in the context here. You can, you can kind of understand why they were demanding a king. All the people around them had kings. So they wanted a king to be just like every other nation. And they believed that a king would solve their problems. They were putting their hope in a king. You see? The other people had monarchs. They had the pharaohs and princes and kings, but not Israel. Israel at this time had judges, judges appointed by God. The king was God. But Israel was jealous of the other nations. They took a survey. We know a lot about surveys. Everybody's taking a survey these days. Israel took a survey of the other nations. 
And they looked around and they said, all the other nations have kings. They have kings that sit upon thrones, kings that can speak with their mouth, see with their eyes. We want a king that can sit upon a throne, a king who will give us promises and pledges and give us hope. And so as Samuel was coming to the ends of his days and his sons were not fit to be judges, the elders of Israel came to him and demanded a king. And then God says to Samuel, this is the most amazing thing. He says, well, all right, listen to the people and everything they say to you. In other words, give them a king. They've not rejected you. They have rejected me as king over them. They have chosen to place their hope in a man and not in God. And then God tells Samuel, but warn them, if you ask for a king, you better be careful what you're asking for. And then as we continue with verse 10, Samuel warns them. And he says, Samuel told all the Lord's words to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, these are the rights of the king who will rule over you. He will take your sons and put them to use in his chariots, on his horses, or running in front of his chariots. He can appoint them for his use as commanders of thousands, commanders of fifties, or to plow his ground, or reap his harvest, or to make his weapons of war, or the equipment for his chariots. He can take your daughters to be the perfumers and the cooks and the bakers. He can take your best fields, the vineyards and the olive orchards, and give them to his servants. He can take a tenth of your grain and your vineyards and give them to his officials and servants. He can take your, your male servants, your female servants, your best young men, your donkeys, and use them for his work. He can take a tenth of your flocks, and you yourselves can become his servants. When that day comes, you will cry out because of the king you've chosen for yourselves. But the Lord won't answer you on that day. Now, what, what is amazing to me is that even after this, Look at what follows in verse 19. The people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we must have a king over us. They were adamant about that. Then we will be like the other nations. And our king will judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. So again, you see where they were placing their hope? Our king will fight our battles. And to me, the bluntness of this text, I mean, it, it, it's just shocking. You know, Samuel is saying, if you really want a king, well, let me tell you what you're going to get. You know, they're going to take your sons and send them to war. They're going to take your daughters and make them the perfumers and the cooks. <clears throat> this was a different culture and a different time. And after all that, they said, no, we still want a king over us. Now, think about this for a minute, historical context. I don't know about you, but when I think about a king, I picture in my mind Buckingham Palace, Windsor Castle, or even something more than that would be the Palace of Versailles in France. And Versailles is this incredible, incredible palace, castle uh, with these gardens and gardens that go on and on and water fountains and just incredible to imagine. 
But this wasn't the type of king that they were looking at when they were looking at the other nations. These were just squat, more like squalid villages with a leader that was called a king. These were not big kings of nations like we would imagine in, in, in huge, huge castles. The people that were just around them were tribal kings. And that's what they were saying. We want a king like that to rule over us instead of putting our hope in God. And they got a king. And we know the story. It doesn't go well. Most of the kings of Israel, most of the kings of Israel and Judah were bad kings. Ahab, Manasseh, Jeroboam, Jehoiakim. Try to, try to think of the names of the good kings. Hezekiah, David, Josiah, Solomon. He started out. Good intentions, but uh, you know Solomon is one of those that I, I personally would probably put in a gray area. It's not quite black and white, but uh, you run out of the names of the good kings very quickly, don't you? And even those good kings, they didn't complete what they intended to accomplish. The point is that when Israel got kings, having kings didn't go well. Everything that Samuel had warned them about when it came to the kings came true and even worse. But in the midst of that, in the midst of all the failings and the frailties of the kings, God told him to hope for someone else. God gave him a promise. Turn to Isaiah 9. Say, I'm painting the backdrop of where Israel was with their kings and where they had ended up. So if you'll turn to Isaiah chapter 9. God gave this prophecy beginning in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as for fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government 
and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You see, Israel wasn't asking for this type of king when their elders went to Solomon and demanded a king. But God, in his mercy, after his people had had plenty of experience with the types of kings that they had demanded, said, I am promising you a king. There is yet a coming king. There is a, there is a king in whom you can place your hope. And he's coming. And as you look to David's throne and you look to David's line, one day there will be a Messiah king who sits upon the throne and of his government there will be no limitation. I say the Lord will establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness. And his throne names, that's what these words are. These are what we would call his throne names. His throne names are wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. This is the one who is infinitely greater than David. And the government will be upon his shoulder. You know, these throne names were never spoken of a human, never spoken of David, only of the one true king. And when Jesus was born, in Matthew, the Magi who came said, this is Matthew 2.2, 2, they said, where is he who was born king of the Jews? Jesus spoke about himself as a king. And he made it very clear that his kingdom had come with him and that in his coming, the kingdom is at hand. He said, when you speak of my kingdom, make very clear that you speak of me as king. Yet, it's made very clear that his kingdom is not of this world. When questioned by Pilate, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting. But my kingdom is not from this world. And yet, the kingdom of God is now at hand. The kingdom of God, our king, is the king in whom we place our hope. You know, Paul writes in Philippians and says, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those who are in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And when you think about that, now think about Jesus on the cross and the words that Pilate had placed on the sign above him where it said, King of the Jews. He was king. He is king. He spoke over and over again of his kingdom. And when we think of Jesus... We need to think of him not as 
similar to some earthly king, just bigger and larger, but as the great king who even now is sitting on his heavenly throne. We need to think of Jesus born, but yet now being God's definitive answer in bringing about his rule, his reign of who is really king. Who is the king? Jesus. And that's who we celebrate. That's who we have our hope in. Is that king. Not a president. Not some other type of royalty. But the king of all creation. In Christ Jesus. Now let's pray. Father. People ask for kings. People ask for presidents, princes, in whom to place hope. But we know that it is a futile effort to place our hope in man. We learn that from the history of Israel. But we also know that God promised them the hope of a true king. And Father, we can gather here and worship and praise our true king, Jesus Christ. And Father, I do pray that we would seek to keep that at the front of our thoughts as we would celebrate Christmas. That we put our hope not in man, but in the one true King, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.